welcome to episode 45 of Ben and Clayton Eat the Bible, our podcast where we follow along with our Read the Bible in a Year plan, discuss the most interesting bits from the upcoming week. Of course, as always, we are open to receiving questions to talk about them, mm, yeah, even if they are not about the last week's readings or the next week's readings. Um, no, no. Just questions from, from the Bible in general are welcome. We'd love to have them. We are coming up on the end. We have less than two months left and are going through the Bible in a year. Today, we're going to be talking about the end of the Gospels with the resurrection and some of the resurrection appearances, and then the beginning of the book of Acts. So we're also, so we're getting to the end of the Gospels, and we're also starting into the book of Acts this week, you know, and we, we, we've talked about how John is not super duper different from the first three, but enough different that you know, there's there's obviously a distinction there, and that's obvious to anyone who reads them that, that John has different vocabulary, different language in a lot of ways, yes. you know. But generally speaking, I mean, their structure is all the same. You know, the use, they start with the kind of the emergence of Jesus into Israel's public life, his teaching, his miracles, his ministry of kind of moving around, you know, Galilee and then down in Jude- into Judea, increasing conflicts with the religious leadership. And then they all slow down and kind of, you know, not quite hour by hour, but kind of, I mean, move through the last, you know, week, weekend of his life. Um, And then they all end with the recounting of his rising again, of his resurrection. Maybe the first question that I have, and I think we're going to focus on John, uh, John 20 here, why was it such a surprise to, to the disciples that this happened? Like they seem, they have no idea what's going on, even though Jesus told them multiple times that this is what was going to happen. Like, why was it still so unexpected? So I think that one of the things that's important is that there was already a resurrection baked into Jewish thinking. The resurrection was just at the end when everyone was resurrected. Like at the end of time. Yes. And so we see this at with Mary and Martha. Jesus approaches when Lazarus is dead and Martha greets him and Jesus says, your brother's going to rise again. And Martha says, yeah, at the end, when everybody rises again, there's a, when Jesus talks about explicitly rising again, I think it would be very easy for them to just already have the put file that under the category they already have for the resurrection at the end. Mm-hmm. Now, when we, we see some of the prophecies that he gave about his resurrection, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild, rebuild it after three days. I mean, these are people who saw him feed five feed 20,000 people. These are people that watched him walk on water. Uh, I think it's really easy to assume that he, he was, for them to assume that he was literally talking about the temple, that he would build a temple. Um, I don't think that they leapt to, he's talking about his body, mm-hmm. you know, coming back three days later. And if you can imagine the hit of that when they realize that three days later his body comes back, reinterpreting some of those thoughts and realizing he was the temple, this mm-hmm. place where heaven and earth are meeting on earth. And so I think that they they misunderstood because, I mean, it's kind of a hard thing to wrap your head around when somebody tells you, like, because when people die, they just stay dead. Like, that's that was a pretty common Usually. experience, right? Yeah. And that's why I think they were surprised they didn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that all makes sense that it really was. And I think even even if they and I think they did, like they heard the words come out of his mouth, you know, 
they but they just didn't get it until it happened until yeah. they saw you know what well, jesus always meant. talked in he talked to metaphors all the time he loved right. his metaphors i mean i imagine they thought on those things like i wonder what he means by this mm-hmm. and then of course the the surprise being the times that he wasn't being metaphorical right and we've seen i mean several times jesus has raised other people back to life you know throughout the gospel story and john the focus is very much on lazarus you know who had been dead for days and who according to the tradition at the time his spirit would have fully departed his body like he was thoroughly completely dead and then jesus brought him back to life but and i think we talked we just touched on this last week uh that you know it's clear just from the gospel stories themselves that sort of the the state of being that jesus was in after the resurrection is in after the resurrection is not the same as Lazarus or the little girl or the widow's son. Yes. They were resurrected, sure enough, but then they died again <laughs> at some point, you know, decades later, who knows how long, whereas Jesus was raised to an indestructible life in a body still. I mean, he's still, ha- he's still in a body. He's still the man Jesus, but no longer... A mortal body right well and the body looked different right in all mm. these stories people have a hard time realizing who he is peter from a distance when he's on shore doesn't really know who it is mm-hmm. the disciples on the road to emmaus mm-hmm. and they're walking and talking with him Up and have close. no idea yeah. who it is yeah. these are people that should know what he looks like and so something about the body that he was in was different we, we know from his his interaction with thomas that it bore the mm-hmm. the the scars of of this the things that he'd gone through in this world. And he's doing things like appearing in the middle of rooms and like locked doors and then disappearing. Floating. <laughs> yeah. And so people will say, well, he walks on water before this happens. Isn't this just what Jesus could do? Maybe, but there really is a difference in how how that works here in the post-resurrection stories. We, we don't see a lot of that kind of thing beforehand. Mm-hmm. I think we're being told something is just different about the body. Mm-hmm. Um, our bodies will be different. There'll be bodies. Mm-hmm. We'll be able to give one another hugs and shake hands, but there will be different rules. Mm-hmm. One of those being, I think, that it will run on the Holy Spirit rather mm-hmm. than food and sleep and rest like we have now. Yeah. And Paul will kind of mm-hmm. unpack a lot of this later on, which I think we'll get to in a few weeks. But just sticking with the narratives of the resurrection, you know, I mean, they can, you can you can easily see how Paul gets to some of the conclusions he draws of Corinthians from these yes. particular stories, you know, that, that, uh, and they are all a little different, you know, and, and hay can be made about, well, how many angels were there at the tomb right. and who got there first and who, and, and I don't know, you know, but these things happened, you know, it's the nature of eyewitness accounts that there's, there's discrepancies, you know, slight discrepancies between them. Um, and, you know, I think that especially the details about like, you know, that he looked different somehow or they couldn't quite tell who he was. And yet he, Mary, you know, he was there like Mary falls at his feet, you know, tries to cling to him. You know, he eats with the disciples in Emmaus or is about to, you know, he eats in Luke here in John. He makes them breakfast, you know, with the fish. And so it's just, the yeah, these, these interesting and I think not true to life as in anything any of us have experienced, but the fact that like there's just these little details that are included that's like nobody would have thought to have made it up, 
Like, it, it sounds as if they're describing something that no one had ever encountered before. Yes. You know, and so they're using, you know, they're just, they're they're using the words that they have just to try and recount what it was like to, to be around him. Yeah. And so then there's, we're talking about these, um, the differences in these stories. We mentioned the Book of Mark has mm-hmm. a different ending than the rest of them do in a couple of ways. So starting in verse 9 of Mark 16... Your Bible probably tells you that something is a little different about these these verses. And what we have is we have an ending, um, the, the rest of the chapter, 9 to 20, yeah, are not in the earliest manuscripts. And so what that means, we think, is that this, these are not words that Mark wrote. These are words that were written afterwards. So the part that we're confident of ends with, the women fleeing from the tomb. They mm-hmm. they see that the tomb is empty. They hear from the angels, and then they the 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 book stops, and then it goes on, and we hear from Jesus. You know, and and actually in our tradition, the Anabaptists they loved this end of Mark because repent and be baptized are like right next to each other, and that mm-hmm. was very helpful for the Anabaptists early on. But there's also this this idea of like handling poisonous snakes and mm-hmm. things like that that have been. Um, that have been part of some very charismatic or Pentecostal church traditions um, that we will, I think most of us agree, are not things that would be healthy practices. I don't think as a test of faith, bringing in poisonous snakes to see if you can survive them is a good idea. But these are, it is good to read these. They, they're in your Bible for a reason. They're also notated as being a little different for a reason. Um, and it's interesting, but you do not need to read this and then feel like that means you have to be able to drink deadly poison and survive it or else you're not a Christian because that's just not what you should take from these verses. Well, and I may be wrong, but my general impression is that we've sort of, we treat like John eight, like the woman caught in adultery, which is also marked. Well, not in the same way. Like generally people are more are fine with the lady caught in adultery. Like no one's like, well, that doesn't really belong. Whereas the end sure. of Mark, it's more like, hmm, well, with that, that may one, be scripture. It may not be scripture. With that one, we, we, we feel like it's scripture. It's just, we don't know where it goes. Right. Cause it, it appeared in several different right. spots. This was almost certainly it's early, right? This is probably from the second century. Um, this is, this is a, an early ending to the book of Mark. Someone took probably from a tradition that they heard, and added it because the original ending of the book was lost. Or it's even possible that it was someone's by memory recreation of what was supposed to be there. If Mark had written more, um, I feel like there is an ending of Mark that we've lost. The end of a scroll being lost is just something that was very common in the ancient world. Um, and so, yeah, I would agree. There is a difference between the way that they're similar is that they're marked, they're notated in your Bible. Uh, we do tend to feel like the the John passage is scriptural. It it gets a break from some of the themes in the book of John because we don't really know where it goes. Mm-hmm. But this is, I don't know, I think a little less trustworthy. So if we were to find a very early manuscript of Mark with a different ending that just continued, would we have to change our Bibles Man, and that put would the be... original ending back in? So there's two ways to look at that, right? One way is we have the Bible that God wants us to have, right? Yes. Very intentionally. At the same time, if that was the case, we wouldn't need, if that was the case and, oh, and that was it, 
we wouldn't need these notations at all. But we're glad for them because mm. the end of Mark is weird and mm. it helps us to know why it's weird. It's possible that whatever was left or lost at the end of Mark is lost because it wasn't what God wanted to end up in our Bibles. I think that it's likely that it's something like what's at the end of Matthew, right? The Great Commission, mm-hmm. because we have... Which s- is what we get right. here in the, the new but, ending. But worded differently or worded more similarly to the way it is in Matthew. Mm. Um, I feel like that's likely because Matthew and Mark are so similar, especially at this point in the, in the, in the retelling. Um, and so I don't think that we have a loss in the sense of we don't have the material that would otherwise have been here. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay. Would we have to change our Bibles? I don't. I don't. I don't think so. But man, I'd like to be able to read it. I mean, what if there's just well, that one piece? This is a little different, and it adds something yeah, to the story. That, well, that would be. Uh, That'd be wild, right? <laughs> I mean, I think we probably wouldn't because we don't. You know, so much of New Testament studies is is based on the fact that there are so many manuscript copies. You know that can be compared and contrasted so if we found only one that had a variant like that i feel like it actually wouldn't be accepted unless it was readily. dated to like 65 ad yeah but it i mean that's that's hard it's to hard prove. it's hard to prove it would be it would at least be very interesting oh absolutely it yeah. would be very interesting i just don't know like i'm just thinking you know me personally it's like mm, i don't know <laughs> Especially if it turns out that it's that saying of Jesus that you have to turn into a man to go to heaven. <laughs> Maybe Mark had some weird ideas. Well, it, it well we don't have to keep talking about this. It's just it's just interesting from a, a textual perspective of like that. Ha- if there was, and I don't know, I think I might be in the camp that that Mark really did originally end with verse eight. Uh, I don't have strong feelings about that, but. But just if there was a, a real, quote-unquote, real original ending that, that got lost or got ripped off, like that must have happened so early mm-hmm. that there were no other copies. Well, not only that, we don't or have other was, people writing about them. Right. Or it was intentionally removed, which is even more. I mean, there's no evidence of that. I'm just, you know. But it's just that, yeah, it must have been, if that happened, it must have been like the original thing that. <laughs> saint mark wrote you know that they lost we get fragments of of copies of the gospels as early as like 90 a.d we have Mm -hmm. a we have a fragment of john from that time period right um there were copies made of these almost immediately and yeah it could have been marks that was lost it could have just been at some point in the early transmission something one of the early copies could have been could have had an error that made it untrustworthy and so they didn't they didn't continue it there's a whole lot of possibilities. Mm-hmm. And it really could just be that the, the, the mark ended in verse 8. It feels odd because we don't get any words from Jesus. And we do mm-hmm. in the other three. It's just kind of a summary. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, any other resurrection thoughts? Well, we are going to... We're moving quickly through the resurrection because it's later on that we see, even right at the beginning of the book of Acts, we are told in the scriptures about the resurrection. And so we're going to be... As we go through and as we see the importance of the resurrection being described or shown to us, we're going to be talking about that, both the crucifixion and the resurrection and this next piece that's going to happen, the ascension. Um, yeah, I think I would just add to that, especially here in John. I mean, we see a lot of, and John's been intentional. He draws a lot of connections with Genesis. You know, we see that at the very beginning, in the beginning was the word, you know, so we see, and that's throughout the book. 
but here especially i think we are we see a lot of you know genesis yeah words and phrases coming back up again you know uh talking about like the being on the first day of the week or the eighth day of the week kind of this new creation idea you know that jesus is mistaken for a gardener uh, i think that's a significant detail you know not just some random person but yeah so there's just there's just a lot there that that kind of speaks to this idea of you know that yes yes it's only happened to jesus for now but like that is and again paul will unpack this later on that he is the the front runner the preview the The pioneer right the first fruits of this bubbling up of new creation in the midst of the old well, we can talk about the book of Acts. I'm what? so excited to talk about Acts. <laughs> so the book of Acts is the uh, Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Risen Jesus. And it's a recounting, really a kind of a second part to the book of Luke specifically. But I think a good kind of next volume to any of the Gospels, just the Gospel story itself, about really the first, I don't even know. Five years, ten years, fifteen years after the ascension of Jesus? I actually don't know the time range. Probably fifteen or twenty years. Well, Paul's ministry lasted about fifteen years, didn't yeah, it? Yeah. Well, because he went home for a long time mm-hmm. and was in Arabia for... A little while. A little while. Anyway, a number of years. <laughs> uh, and just kind of following the the careers of some of the apostles and then... Uh, around chapter 10 or so focusing much more just on the apostle paul and then it just follows him for the rest of the book as he is the apostle to the gentiles maybe my opening question for acts is like why you know so luke is purported to have written luke and acts you know sometimes they're referred to really as a single book you know luke acts or whatever why is this a separate scroll like why isn't this just part of the gospel does that make sense mm-hmm. like why why is it a new book this part of the story it's a good question i i want to say first of all i really think it could have been right i I, th- I don't think that we would be worse i shouldn't say that i don't think it would have been bad if luke had included these two one right after the other in fact i think that when we find the scrolls of them the copies mm-hmm. um, the copies were separated it could be um, no, it couldn't, because he says in my former book. One of the things that we know is that 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 I'm just thinking out loud here. That Luke went around. He did a lot of research. He collected mm-hmm. a lot of these stories to be able to put them together. Luke is part of the story himself. We he travels with Paul, right? But he's collected. Perhaps while Paul was in prison, he went around collecting a lot of these stories from from some of the people that were there. The reason I think why he wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, at the same time, is he just collecting the stories about Jesus and then collecting stories about the early church? Probably were two separate projects. We do see themes that begin in the book of Acts and travel through the book of Acts that are different or differently toned than in the Gospels. For example, it's in verse 3 that we hear about the kingdom of God for the first time. And it really is as though, and then at the very end of the book of Acts, we hear about the kingdom of God again. Mm-hmm. It really does seem like the book of Acts is about, um, well, there's the ascension here at the beginning, and then the rest of it is the the kingdom burgeoning into being on on earth. And 
the theme of the, the gospel, of course, is the, the life, the teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the book of Acts is what comes after that. So the Holy Spirit is the person of God um, that we, we see acting. Jesus isn't completely absent, but he is much less common. Um, it just seems like the themes are changing. And that would be a reason for a different scroll. That was a good question. I've never really thought about that before. Yeah. Well, you know, and that it's not... Yeah, no, and, and I, I agree with all that. I think it's just, you know, in some ways it's like the difference between... Which, of course, like Samuel and King, because those are originally a single scroll. But, you know, to some extent, it's like there is, there is a gear shift. You know, it's like there's Saul and David gear shift and then the rest of the kings, you know, and... They're given basically the same amount of page time as just Saul and David, you know. And so you think about the Gospels and Acts. It's like, okay, well, the Gospels cover maybe three years or so, you know, of Jesus' life. Obviously with some stuff at the very beginning of his life. But basically three years in detail. Whereas then, like we said, Acts covers 15, 20. Like it's just a much longer, you know. And just a different sort. I mean, it's still kind of a sacred history, but... Um, yeah, it's just interesting that it's, it's no longer, you know, that, yeah, that acts is not, it is proclaiming the gospel, but it, it isn't itself like telling the gospel story. It's recounting like how the gospel yes. kind of Spread. goes forth and, and spreads and, and, well, and uh, we see that. different people's reactions to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, right here at the beginning, the apostles still not getting it, which is a wonderful and comforting theme throughout the gospel. Mm-hmm. The Gospels, the the Apostles not getting it because it makes us feel better when we don't get it. But they say, Lord, now are you going to restore the kingdom? Still ex- expecting there to be some kind of physical, Davidic, militaristic mm-hmm. kingdom. Conquest, yeah. I mean, he's resurrected. Like, at this point, Jesus can be forgiven for being frustrated. Right. You know, and, <laughs> and he says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates, but you're going to receive power. And you're going to be my witnesses and you're going to spread out. And so he's he's basically laying out the, the book of Acts here in verse 8, saying that they're going to be his witnesses. Not just going and telling, but his agents, mm-hmm. you know, his hands and his feet, his mm-hmm. um, him at work in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and then that's what we see through the rest of the book is the apostles after Jesus is, after he ascends, which we need to talk about, um, they they go and they do this work. They're his witnesses throughout the world. Which you know, again, and I think I feel like we're gonna, you're going to hear this a lot in the, these next like three episodes. That later on, Paul unpacks this more. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that's really important to say because we it could is, do that here, is. but it'd be right. better for us to let you read Paul first, well, right? That there isn't because you use the phrase "his hands and feet." You know, it's like yeah, all right, well, you're right. That kind of, and 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 not I'm not you're that's right, not a criticism, yeah. but just that we know what Paul's going to talk about later on yes. in Corinthians and Romans, you know, and that's him reflecting back on, again, these stories and just his own experience of like, we know, I mean, Paul says this many times, like, yeah, I did this, but it was the Lord's energy. It was his power kind of working through me, you know? And so, yeah, I think you see that, you know, that, that, and that's why, you know, in my, the ESV copy I'm looking at, it says this book is called The Acts of the Apostles. And I think it's right to call it that. But I think we could just as as accurately call it The Acts of the Holy Spirit yeah. or The Acts of Jesus or The Acts of the Triune God, uh-huh. you know, through the apostles. Like, that, they're all true. You know, those are all true ways of, of speaking about these things. You mentioned The Ascension. That's where the book begins. And we talked a little bit about The Ascension a couple of weeks ago. 
in the context of uh, like Daniel seven and the son mm-hmm. of man coming on the clouds. Well, and it's in Luke. Yeah. Right? But you know, and so it's this, this what's presented to us is that Jesus, I mean, literally rises up to heaven, <laughs> up to the heavens is covered by a cloud, which is not just, Oh, he, he ran into some cumulus, you know, vapor on his way up. But I mean, it's the cloud of glory, I think is generally what we're meant to understand. Yeah. Like had appeared at Sinai in the tabernacle and, or the Mount of Transfiguration. Like he is kind of assumed into the heavenly reality. Um, and I guess one question I have, and, and, and you may want to take Ascension, our Ascension discussion, a slightly different direction, but just kind of this, the practical thing. I think a lot of people at some point ask themselves, this is like, so why did he leave? Like, why couldn't he have just stayed? And is that even the right way to, the right words to use? Because he did stay. (laughs) Uh You know, he says at the end of John that he's going to go and send the spirit. Yeah. And it's necessary for him to go in order to send the spirit. Right. I don't want to try to figure out Trinitarianly why it's necessary or if that's what he meant by he needs to leave to send the spirit. Mm Mm-hmm. But it is not that they have less God presence now that he's gone than they did before. We think a lot of the times about, wouldn't we rather have Jesus? You know, I mean, if if Jesus came and applied to be the pastor at Calvary Community Church, I would gleefully step aside and let him have the position. Of course, we'd all be very blessed by being able to speak with, follow, listen to Jesus. But Jesus seemed to think that there was a limitation by his physical presence here. Um, the spirit is capable of being with all of us at the same time, whereas bodily, he was located in one place. Um, and I, 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 I don't know if I can comment on why he felt like, why Trinitarianly, they can't both be here, because the spirit was certainly active during Jesus' ministry too. But there is something about him. I mean, his, his he goes into heaven and that, that accomplishes something that needed to happen. And I think, I think that's the reason. It's not that, that he needed to go in order for the Spirit to come. It's that what was accomplished by his ascension, by him being in heaven, was a necessary thing. I think Hebrews especially will unpack that yeah. <laughs> more. Well, no, I think that's right. And I, and I think the only thing that I would add on to that is just the idea. It's just good to think about. And there's a lot of, can be woolly fuzzy thinking around that is that we tend to assume that heaven is like this very far away place that's disconnected from earth. That's not the biblical picture. Uh, Obviously, you know, Moses has to go up the mountain. Like, I mean, there is, they're not the same, but I mean, they are far closer kind of in the biblical presentation than like, you know, what we tend to think. Yes. Um, So even in the ascension, right? If we think, oh, that he he vanished through the clouds. I mean, this gives this picture of him going very far away, like a balloon that you let go of that that disappears in the sky. It's like, well, no, that's not what Luke is describing. He's describing the glory cloud of Yahweh coming and covering him. And we've only ever seen the glory cloud on the ground, you know, yeah. or on mountaintops. So, I mean, Jesus is still, you know, he, he, he may not have, quote unquote, lifted up very far before he... He yeah. vanished, if that's the right word. Have you seen any of the um, the stained glass windows or the like ancient Christian paintings of this event? They're pretty common still in Anglican and Episcopalian churches where you will see the followers all there. And Jesus is up. He's not up as far as you might might think, but he's in the in the air. 
and he, there's a cloud. But all you see of yes, Jesus is the feet, his feet sticking out. <laughs> 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 That's fantastic. Yes, yes. We need one of those. It's <laughs> like he flew into a ceiling <laughs> and just stuck it there now. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yes. But so anyway, all that to say is just that because we and, and I think that Acts shows us this of like, so Jesus, he is not he is not present in the way he was, you know, during the, the years of his his earthly life. That's obvious. But he's not absent. You know, and that's what you were saying. Certainly through the presence of the Holy Spirit, but even Jesus himself, like he he still shows up throughout the book of Acts. Well, Matthew, he says, I'll be you with know, you. And we look at church history, you know, and even today, you know, people, and some some of that's probably just hallucinations of people being crazy. Things. But some of it is probably not, you know, right. that Jesus still does, you know, show up and, and, and reveal himself to people in, in kind of visible manifesting ways. So then my... I have another question about Acts 1. Yeah. Which there's, I mean, there's just so much, you know, well, some, I don't know if I should necessarily ask this particular question or not. Well, so the only reason, you know, because I know we can't go through everything with fine tooth comb, but just because it's kind of notable that uh, they use, the disciples use lots to elect or to pick the replacement apostle for Judas one, I guess maybe the first question would be why, well, I, I, I think we all understand why they felt like Judas needed to be replaced, but why did they need, like, why did they feel like they needed 12 of them? You know, because obviously Matthias is coming from a larger pool of people who are also Jesus' disciples. So why, why the need for 12? Go ahead and answer that first, and then I'll ask you the second well, part. Well, the, <laughs> the 12 apostles mirror, mirror the 12 tribes of Israel. Mm-hmm. And they believed, I think, that they were representing a new Israel. The Israel had grown and transformed. It wasn't just an individual people of God anymore that was geographically isolated to one promised land area, but that now the people of God were, were unbounded by one ethnicity and or one place. And so to maintain that important symbolism, they needed a twelfth. Hmm. Now, Paul was going to come and join, but that's, I mean, it's its kind of fitting that he's not one of the 12 because right. he's the one to the, the Gentiles. Right. The it's reason probably to, good for Paul that he wasn't one of the 12. Yeah. And to anticipate <laughs> the next question, the reason for lots, I think, I think we're given this story intentionally because the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. Huh. I think that's probably why Luke included it because they never decide anything by lot no, again. never again. Yeah. Um, and and the, not since the Old Testament have mm-hmm. we seen. So it's just this, this kind of an odd you know, kind of a flag up. It's like, wait a minute, lots. Like, I really do think that Luke included it so that we could see the difference in the way they seek the, the, the Lord's will Mm. before and after the Holy spirit, because afterwards they're asking the spirit. Right. Right. And still together, you know, I mean, that's still communal, you know, kind of a discerning group, group discerning. But that's why we don't, we don't, Cast lots when we do church votes. We yeah, yeah. expect no, the spirit I, to speak. Uh, well, I mean, we do actually take votes, but yeah, but that's not the same thing as lots. <laughs> lots true. are not votes. That's true. No, you're right. You're right. So, and you referenced this already, but very quickly here at the beginning of the book of Acts, we get to Acts two and the Ooh. spectacle. Not spectacle. That's not the right word. Uh, whatever. Just the the 
coming of the Holy Spirit, which is kind of this miraculous, yeah. you know, uh, uh, I can't think of the word that I'm trying to grab, but remarkable marvel. Yeah. So there's there's several major <laughs> movements in the New Testament. So in Genesis, we see these big moments, right? We see creation. We see the fall. We see this thing that happens in Genesis 6 that we've talked about. We see Babel. We see the Genesis 12, the promised Abraham. We see these big movements. We see this in the New Testament too. We have the the incarnation of Jesus. We have the the crucifixion and death of Jesus. We have the mm-hmm. resurrection of Jesus. We have the mm-hmm. ascension, which doesn't get talked about enough, but it's it's just as important. Right. And then we have Acts two, which I think is the last major movement in the New Testament, as far as like a, a big um, change in the the world, um, in the story of God's people. And there's so many Old Testament connections here yeah, that we can miss. That's a lot. If we're if, if we've just read the Old Testament, so some of these stories are going to make sense to you. But but as, as I read this, you know, you think about Babel, the Tower of uh-huh. Babel. All the languages are are uh-huh. are broken up. This is undone. Like it's yep. it's the world is <clears throat> being remade. Yeah. Um, it's a new creation. The the flames that mm-hmm. descend on the heads. Mm-hmm. So when when Solomon is. Um, dedicating the temple. A flame comes down and rests on the temple. In the tabernacle, when the tabernacle stopped in the in the desert in Numbers 9 or 10, this pillar of flame mm-hmm. goes from it to the sky. All Both of those indicating this is where God is, mm-hmm. right? The presence of God. So what I talked about, about hands and feet, you know, the, the analogy Paul will eventually use, the body of Christ. I mean, we see it here. These little flames descend to show two things. The spirit is present in each of the people who have this 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 flame rest above them, but also God is present because of those people. The people are now the presence of God, right? And Not that the temple, yeah. yeah. And that is such a big thing to yeah. realize that you, Christian, listening to this. You are the presence of God. That does not make you infallible, for heaven's sake. That does not mean that anything you think is right. <laughs> and Acts proceeds to show us that. <laughs> right, over and over again. But what it does tell us is that when you when you encounter a need and people are left thinking, well, if God is real, why doesn't he take care of this? Right. He sent you. Like, right. that's why you're there. And that's just so important for us to, to grasp. This is... So we get we get hung up on the Holy Spirit stuff here, meaning like, what does it mean that we have the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. But I think one of the things we miss is that this story is telling us that we are the presence of God in the world. Right. And that's magnificent. Yeah. No, that's very well put. I mean, <clears throat> you know, Genesis imagery, the Holy Spirit comes as a mighty wind. Mm-hmm. You know, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Burning bush imagery, you know, that they're on fire, but they're not consumed. You see a reversal of the exile, right? That all these Jewish people are gathered to Jerusalem for the festival from all the places in the world where they've been scattered. You know, so yes. it's just this very rich, you know, deeply symbolic thing that, I mean, it's just worth sitting and, and meditating yes. on and and living. You know, I mean, we, we're living in the Pentecost reality, right? We have access to this too. Yes. Um, yeah, and, and that's uh, another thing that you can forget next is it's not as though we have a lesser spirit. Right. We have the same one. Right. Yeah. Which, I mean, different streams of the church have, have, uh, different thoughts about taken that. in different ways, but <laughs> what uh, do you think happened oh. with tongues? Do you think that they were, 
speaking um, different languages? Or do you think that people were able to understand whatever was being said in their own language? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I feel like the impression from Acts 2 is that they all just heard them in their language. Because it's in, uh, where are we here? Verse 11, it says, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Yes. Um, And verse 6, And at the sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Mm -hmm. So I would say, I mean, just based on that, that I think that, that everyone was hearing you know what was what was being said. Yeah, that's what I think too. And I've had I've had an experience like that, um, <laughs> very briefly because we're coming up on time. But when <clears throat> I think it was my second year in China, my brother came to visit, and we were just going around some of the different things to look at in the city. And one of them was this big mosque. And while we were there, we met a Chinese man and talked with him for like half an hour. And he had actually been raised Christian, baptized as a child, and then had converted to Islam. And, I mean, it was a good conversation. Like, we, you know, we were able to talk about our faith in Jesus. And, you know, I mean, it was, it was, it was a good thing. And then as we left, I thought to myself, you know, wow, that guy had really good English. <laughs> no, no, no. It was the other way around. I'm sorry that I said, you know, man, I could like, you know, my Chinese because I could barely speak Chinese, you know, but like I sustained a conversation, you know, I could understand what he was saying. And then Caleb says, no, that guy was speaking English. Uh (laughs) And it was just this weird, like, what? Uh You know, like just this, 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 this crazy, you know, I mean, and, and I, you know, and so I look back on that and go, yeah, I think that was, that was something like what they experienced on Pentecost, you know, where God, and I mean, there are so many stories, you know, of, of, from the mission field or otherwise of, of people kind of being granted that temporary anti-babble, you know, where we're able to speak to each other. And there were a few other times where I feel like the Holy Spirit lifted my Chinese ability, if that makes sense. Like, I could tell that I was performing better than I had any right to be. <laughs> and that's just kind of cool. That's that is cool. Neat. Yeah, that's Praise God. Cool. Praise God for that. Um, I feel like we need to talk about Paul. We do need to talk about Paul, yeah. So, one of my favorite chapters in the book of Acts is important for a lot of reasons, but it's it's important because it introduces us to somebody but it's actually the the um, the moment of Stephen, who is sometimes referred to as one of the main characters in Acts. I mean, for a moment, he shines brightly. Mm-hmm. And we get this description of him explaining why the spirit, rather than the temple, is the way that God is going to work, you know, spirit in his people. Um, it's really neat uh, as you read as you read Acts seven. But what we find out there at the end of his story, is Saul, this man named Saul, is there approving of their killing him. Mm-hmm. It's a little odd that we don't hear him debating Stephen because <laughs> I, it really feels like that would have been his jam, right? Yeah. And maybe he was. But he he is approving, perhaps organizing, the death of, of Stephen. We find out later on that this Saul is the same one who is a Pharisee, an up-and-coming Pharisee. He's brilliant. We know that from what happens mm-hmm. afterwards. Um, and he's making a name for himself, zealously doing what he believes, 
God wants them to do. The book of Deuteronomy makes clear that if you have people saying something like a human being is actually Yahweh, they're supposed to die. Time to die, yeah. And so he's, he now in this case, it happens to be true. So it's not blasphemy, but, but the Jews don't know that. And so Saul's going around and he's killing Christians. Right. Which is... I mean, he, I I don't know. I wrestle with how my heart perceives him sometimes. I have the, I've always had this picture, and I've challenged this later on, that he did this without remorse. Mm-hmm. You know that these were like an infection to be purged. And when I've pictured, it, it's easier for me to imagine Saul doing this heartlessly, and then having a huge change of heart. Mm-hmm. You know, later on, what I suspect actually is that this was truly awful. Um, to go around and, and be the one who has to murder these people um, for for your God, believing it's the right thing to do, but but very painful and difficult to do until, um, and what chapter is it that we get his conversion? Is it nine? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's in chapter nine. This, this moment happens, this man's walking around having Christians uh, persecuted and, and killed, and then Jesus appears to him. And the first words we get, I mean, if you can just imagine, he's walking and there's there's a, a prayer practice that was very common for um, Pharisees and just, just devoted Jews at the time when you were walking and praying. It was like a, an openness to, to hearing from the Lord. And I can just imagine, it doesn't say that that's what he was doing, but I just imagine Paul walking and just let, waiting for Yahweh to speak. And then all of a sudden he hears, why do you persecute me? Which is why he immediately says, who are you, Lord? Like he uses the word Lord, which is a word for God. Mm-hmm. And then I'm Jesus, <laughs> which hey, you could just imagine like all the blood draining from his face. Like, oh, no. Yeah. And the moment when you are so zealously devoted and loyal to your God, you've been killing for him and finding out that those you were killing were his servants. Mm-hmm. Um. It's a, it's a big moment for Paul. And we get this story about he's stricken blind and he has to go to a Christian who is incredibly bold in allowing this man into his home to pray for him and his sight is returned. And then he goes off by himself and tries to figure out what he's misunderstood and what he's missed in all this. And Saul will eventually become the main character of the book of Acts and the primary author of the rest of the New Testament. I tried to do that quickly. No, I, I think that's good. So I don't know, just because a note to you, listener, as we come here towards the end of the reading plan, you know, and we've remarked many times on the the uh, strengths and weaknesses of the chronological approach. And as we've done, we've modified the, the reading plan as we've gone a little bit just to make it more readable so you're not hopping around quite All as much. And so a lot of, a few of the letters... We're going to start to get into Paul's letters here, but they're embedded in the readings for Acts, which again makes sense because we're doing the chronological thing. They're not all like that, but but some of them are Galatians and Thessalonians next week. Um, and so I don't know, you know, moving forward, I don't know if we're going to talk a whole lot about Acts, the rest of Acts, um, just because the letters are the letters and traditionally require a lot of discussion. <laughs> If only he could have been clearer, then maybe we wouldn't need to talk about it so much. <laughs> um, but, you know, so I think just in terms of, okay, so the next couple of weeks as we as we read Acts, 
Clayton, would there be any just kind of big picture, uh, you know, things that you'd be like, pay attention to this or or think about this? The thing I would say, one of the things, that, just to answer my own questions, I, I was just I already say, had it in mind. Yes. <laughs> well, that that acts. I mean, you know, it's the narrative, it's the stories, and so I think there there's a lot of encouragement. Acts is a very encouraging book uh, to read and just to 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 be reminded of the history of God's people, uh, this early history of God's people, his faithfulness. You know, there's a lot of Old Testament resonances, you know, throughout the rest of the book of Acts. A lot of phrases, you know, pulled from from different stories that I think is, is worth um, just trying to, to think about that, dwell on that. Quotes, you know, from the Psalms and Isaiah and some other things. I will say that the, the thing I would, I would tell you to really pay attention to is the speeches. Mm-hmm. I think the speeches and acts are, I mean, that's all very important, but the speeches and acts are preserved for us, certainly because they happened, but also because I think we are supposed to be taking very careful, spiritual, mental notes about how these men and women spoke about Jesus, you know, and even starting with Stephen, you know, in in this week's readings, but like when Paul gets up in a synagogue to proclaim the gospel, I want you to pay attention to what exactly he says, because it's quite different than often what we will say. I don't think we're wrong, but I think it's just, it is good for us. It's beneficial to really sit with that and be like, all right, so when Paul got up to proclaim the good news, this is what he said. Why, you know, is this what he said? Or when he speaks to the Athenian philosophers in Acts 17, you know, in the way that he he acknowledges their religiosity, even though it's all idolatrous, you know, but like he acknowledges it, he tries to meet them on common ground and then go from there, you know, not anyway. So I would just say the speeches, the speeches would be the thing. Again, it's all good, but yeah, just to pay attention to the speeches. Yeah. Um, what I would say is every time you see a miracle or a movement of the spirit, right? We're told the spirit is doing something mm-hmm. or we see something in his miracle. Just like in the Gospels, and it's easy for us to think, oh, this is just proving that they have the power of the Spirit, right? right? right. But but those are all signs telling us something about the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think I can confidently say every time Luke is telling the story, because imagine how many miracles are not being told about. Right. I'm sure that there were so many times the apostles did things, just like Jesus had, mm-hmm. that Luke is not writing down. And so the reason he has the stories he has is because each and every time something important about the kingdom of God is being shown. And so when you see it, ask yourself that. And if you don't know, that is okay. Uh, That is exciting. That means there's something that you have yet to learn. And I wrestle with that sometimes. There's times I read this and I'm like, what exactly was happening here? Um, And I think that's wonderful. Because that's a promise of greater revelation to come. This has been Ben and Clayton Eat the Bible. Stay hungry, my friends. Ben and Clayton Eat the Bible is a podcast ministry of Calvary Community Church. All contents are under copyright. Our theme music is by Alex Productions. Any thoughts and opinions are solely mine and Clayton's. I prefer... Have you you've seen the painting I have? of the Annunciation and it's Gabriel and Mary and God, the father is like this little like bulbous balloon man up at the corner. And he's breathing little tiny fetus Jesus <laughs> through the air to Mary's body. <laughs> <laughs> little tiny what? 
fetus Jesus.